The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by LCHF Endurance. Stabilize your blood sugar, burn fat, decrease inflammation and become fat adapted in just 12 weeks. I'm so excited to share with you that LCHF Endurance is currently 50% off for a limited time only. Simply use the code LCHFE50 to sample the program, check out the kind of meals you'll get to eat, and cancel within seven days if it's not your sugar-free jam. Head to lchfendurance.com.au and use the code LCHFE50 for 50% off your upfront program payment today. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 253 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Susie Garden, a degree qualified clinical nutritionist, naturopath, and registered yoga and meditation teacher with over 20 years experience in healthcare. In today's episode, Susie and I explore stress, trauma, how they differ, and what is the link between them and other mental health disorders like anxiety and depression. You will learn the role of nutrition, the microbiome, what additional mind-body techniques should be used as part of a holistic treatment strategy, and so much more. Hi, Susie, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Steph. It's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited for our conversation. I'd actually love to start with a little bit about you because you haven't been on the show before, so I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us more about your background. Sure. Well, I'm a Brisbane-based naturopath, nutritionist, and yoga and meditation teacher. And I've actually been working in healthcare for over 20 years, which just continues to amaze me. I started off as a registered nurse, and then I moved into the pharmaceutical industry for quite some time. So it's almost like coming from the dark side into the light, (laughs) depending on which side of the fence that you're sitting on. Um, But I actually thoroughly enjoyed being in that industry and I learned a lot. And I bring some of that with me into my work as a naturopath and nutritionist because I can understand the conventional medical side as well as the natural medicine side. And what I have 
found is that when I was working in that more conventional medical side is it really is a sickness model. When you get sick, you present to your medical professional or healthcare professional. Whereas in wellness, it's all about prevention. And I'm absolutely passionate about that now. I really feel like that is the missing piece. And culturally, we don't tend to think a lot about that. And so my work at the wellness clinic in Brisbane is all around keeping people well. And one of my uh, special interests is the mind-body connection and specifically how we can use breathing techniques, movement techniques to help manage stress, anxiety, fatigue, and trauma. I also work with the Australian Army teaching injured soldiers meditation to help them on their healing journey. So that's the highlight of my week. I really enjoy that work. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. But yeah, my other great love is my uh, signature program, which is the Anxiety Taming Method, which is my 12-week program. It's a group program that I run online and it helps take people from being stressed, overwhelmed and fatigued to feeling light, having the confidence to live life in a way where they can manage their anxiety and feel really safe and comfortable in their skin. Beautiful. And something that I'm sure all of us need in some way, shape or form. And I'm looking forward to learning more from you today. And so, yeah, I find it really fascinating the mind-body connection as I know you do. So I really want to dive in there with you today, but let's set the scene with a couple of, you know, subtopics and definitions. I'd love to start with a little bit of a conversation about stress and what that looks like to you. Yeah, absolutely. And stress has become a massive issue in our population, unfortunately. I mean, stress, we have a stress response and it's really important. It really keeps, it was developed to keep us alive and safe. The stress response, also known as our fight or flight response, was actually only meant to be activated for about 20 to 30 seconds when we were cave people to get us out of trouble where we could either run away from the threat or we could fight the threat and then the threat would be over and we would just move on with our day. But these days, the things that we perceive as stress are financial stress, mortgage stress, relationship stress, and these are ongoing things. They don't last for just 20 to 30 seconds. They last for days, weeks, months, even years. And our stress response, our brain doesn't recognize this as being anything other than a threat. And so what happens is we're constantly in our fight and flight response and we are using our resources. So when we're in fight and flight, our heart is racing, our blood pressure goes up, our blood thickens so that we can clot if we get cut, we sweat more so that we can keep the body cool. And there's a whole bunch of other biochemical uh, interactions that are going on in the body, including the release of cortisol and adrenaline. And of course, we need nutrients to keep all of this going. But unfortunately, when we're in our stress response, the blood flow and oxygen supply in the gut decreases because that's all going out to our muscles. So we're not absorbing our food as well. And also it affects our fertility because our reproductive organs are also not considered a priority during those times. 
So uh, that can affect our fertility in uh, ways that, you know, can be quite uh, traumatic for people if you're trying to have kids and finding that very difficult. So all of this can be related back to stress and our stress response. And this is generally in response to daily events. If we're looking at trauma, trauma is a sudden event and it's an event that it's quite dramatic, a quite dramatic sudden event that comes into our lives and it actually changes the way that we see the world. And that's probably the major difference between stress and trauma. Even though trauma does obviously have the stress response involved, it, this actual um, change in the way we perceive the world is what then kind of informs the behaviours that can be associated with people suffering from trauma. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And I mean, the stress conversation is one we've had a lot on the show, but it's still, I think, I just don't think it's almost um, appreciated. And part of me thinks it's because it is going on sort of under the water, so to speak. And we can't sort of physically see how significant it is to areas like our digestion and our fertility, as you mentioned, not to mention our longevity. And Mm. I think this is a really important conversation to have because it kind of rolls off our tongue because we, you and I speak about this every day, but I think pausing to appreciate the significance of it is so important because as you also say, there are so many stresses and, you know, when that cortisol adrenaline adrenaline process is so fine-tuned even Mm. the tiniest little interruptions to our state cause more stress and it will become a lot more sensitive to that whole picture absolutely and I know for myself like when I was in my corporate life working in the pharmaceutical industry I was in a national sales manager role and it was quite high pressure and lots of stress but I didn't want to tell people that it was affecting me I you know because we kind of feel like I'm weak if I can't handle, you know, the stress. So I think there is a bit of that that goes on as well, that we're kind of expected to be able to manage stress and just kind of get on with it rather than actually recognizing that it's actually a very serious uh, risk to our health to be in our stress response for long periods of time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a real problem. And it's a bit like mental health generally is there's still somewhat of a stigma attached to it. But I think stress in particular, because everyone experiences it, well, I'd say most people experience it, um, that it just does become something that we're expected to manage and handle. Yeah, and it leads to a lot of issues. And I, I think you probably agree that we see things going full circle now with many campaigns, whether it's online or with the work that, um, you know, we see even with Meghan Markle sort of being more, um, I guess, public with her struggle yeah. with the media scrutiny and new motherhood. Yeah. And, you know, like I think even though it can be so challenging to speak about how you're feeling, the empowerment that you then have yourself, what you can pass on to other people to appreciate that it is actually quite common. It's not something to be ashamed of. And, mm. you know, a problem shared is, is halved essentially. Absolutely. And when you do share, it gives other people permission to also express their own situations. And I see this, interestingly, this comes along on the yoga mat all the time. If you're in a class and people are holding a pose and 
you'll notice if you say to people, if you know, when you've had enough, you can come out, but no one will come out. But if one person comes out, then maybe three or four people come out. Like, oh, good, I'm not the first to come out. And it's so like that when talking about mental health issues and stress as well. It's like you, you, you are actually doing a service to others by talking about it because it gives them permission to also expose their own problems or issues that they're having with that. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I'm not making this about the royal family at all, but I did really <laughs> admire Megan because I'm a new mum myself and mm. um, I just thought to myself how wonderful that she can start this conversation for many other women that have been feeling like, you know, they're ashamed or that they don't mm. want to speak about the challenges they've faced. And we can see this in, I think, in men's health as well, which I think is incredible because yeah. the reality is, is they haven't talked and we see the horrific suicide rates amongst yes. men. And now yes. we're seeing so many incredible organisations and conversations being started. And I am just so passionate about supporting that because we need yes. to have the conversations. Uh, absolutely. I think it's absolutely critical that we're having these conversations and it's, it's been kind of hidden for so mm -hmm. long. And I'm so, and I agree with you, it's when you have really influential people like, yeah. like Megan Markle speaking on this topic, it, it just influences so many other people to start speaking as well and makes people feel safe and yeah. makes people feel like they'll be accepted. And I think it's super important. Yeah, beautiful. I agree. So let's talk about trauma a little bit more because I know this is mm. an area that you definitely spend a lot of your week um working in and, and supporting others through. So, yeah. you know, you've touched on what it means and how it sort of differs from stress, but what would you say is like, or give me some examples and how common we see trauma in this day and age. It's actually far more common than you might think. Mm. So the stats tell us that about, it's estimated about 70% of people will experience a traumatic event at least once in their lifetime. And I guess it's important to understand what a traumatic event actually is. And interestingly, you don't even have to be involved and be personally in danger to experience trauma from an event. So for example, people that watched the September 11 attacks live on TV, many of them experienced trauma from watching that because there was that this horrible, dramatic event that changed their way they saw the world. And it was something that they literally were sitting in their living rooms watching happen and feeling pow powerless and watching the, the events unfold that were just so horrific. And many people actually experienced post-traumatic stress just simply from watching it on their television at home. Now, that was a pretty um, huge event. So there there is that aspect of it. And then there's that aspect of actually being involved where you are physically present, where there might be a major road accident, or you may be involved in a major road accident, or perhaps you may uh, lose a loved one in a sudden and unexpected way. Uh, it can be a whole bunch of different um, types of events that can cause trauma and, um, you know, we, we obviously sexual trauma that can be um, if you're assaulted, that sort of stuff also 
uh, can happen that that is a traumatic event. And we know that, say, around 70% of people will experience that event. Of those, about 20% will go on to experience symptoms of post-traumatic stress. That's in the general population. In the military population, we're looking about one in three of those people will actually go on to have symptoms of trauma or post-traumatic stress. So the majority of people actually do move forward and kind of integrate the trauma into and and can move on and yes they've it's they've experienced it but they've been able to process it and therefore it's not affecting them in their daily life when people are have experienced trauma and have been unable to integrate that successfully then they go on to experience symptoms that will affect them every day in their life so it's a really interesting area to work in and what do you think some of the defining factors are as to who would integrate it and who would then experience a PTSD? Yeah, it's interesting um, that I don't, it's, there's no real um, kind of characteristic because mm. it, it just seems to be very much an individual thing. You can have someone who has had a very stable existence, a very, um, you know, good nutrition, very healthy, that experiences trauma more so or goes on to experience post-traumatic stress whereas someone that you might think is going to be more likely to maybe they've got you know a psychiatric disorder or maybe they've had uh an upbringing where they've uh kind of moved around a lot and and felt um you know unstable or whatever that then maybe not it's it's just so individual and yeah it's very difficult to predict who is going to experience it and who isn't yeah, so, so many variables, I imagine. There are. Yeah, there's so mm. many variables. And, um, yeah, so that's why I guess it's important when people do experience a traumatic event that they really do seek some counselling if they feel like they've been affected by it at all because we don't know who's going to go on to experience post-traumatic stress. Some people in the, in the few days and weeks following might still, you know, relive the event, might not be able to sleep, might be feeling sick about it, might develop some signs of illness, but then they'll move forward. But others just won't and will continue to start to experience um, different signs and symptoms of post-traumatic stress and then that can lead to further um, dysfunction in the body as this goes on. Yeah. So how, what, does, what does an expression of trauma or stress look like in the body yeah. and what do we see? Well, there are some classic ones with, with, if you're looking at post-traumatic stress, one of the, the main ones is hypervigilance, which is a, a feeling of being on guard all of the time. And um, I ha actually had an experience a few months ago, my mortgage broker came over to my house to um, sign some paperwork and we went to sit at my dining table and he said to me, oh, do you mind if I just sit against the wall, like at the chairs that were against the wall. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I just kind of looked at him and he goes, oh, he goes, oh, I, I actually had an experience where I was robbed at knife point in his office. And he said, since then, I can't not face the door. So he said, I, he said, all my friends know if we go out to a restaurant, they have to book a table that has a wall behind it so that he can sit next to the wall so he can see the whole room. Wow. And just so even coming to my house where the doors were closed and locked, he felt like he had to make sure that he could see the room, even though it was a, obviously a very safe environment. So this, that's what hypervigilance can look like. In an extreme 
situation, it can be maybe there's a loud noise and the person that's experiencing this actually has to get up and hide somewhere. And again, I had, I had a friend who was married to someone in the army who'd been uh, deployed and come back and was experienced post-traumatic stress. And he, she woke up in the middle of the night one night and she couldn't find him. And yeah, he was actually in the corner crouched because he'd heard a noise. And so his immediate thought was, I've got to hide. So that, this is hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't need to be quite that extreme. It can just be that sense of always being on guard. Uh, another classic post-traumatic stress disorder sign is avoidance. So avoidance of any sort of situation that reminds them of that traumatic event. And so for someone, for example, that may have been in a car accident, maybe they don't drive anymore because they just don't want to be, you know, they're avoiding that kind of event. The other thing is numb, numbing, they call it. So, um, and it's just a lack of interest in the things that you're doing uh, or in other people. And that can be very, very debilitating, particularly for family relationships where the person has a desire to have a good relationship with their family, but because they have this numbing, they just physically can't have that emotional relationship with their family or friends. And that can be very, very difficult because it kind of, then turns people away from them. And it's very difficult if you're a partner of someone like this trying to have a relationship and they just, they intellectually want to have that relationship but emotionally have to switch it off and they Mm. can't control that. Um, The other thing is reliving the event. And that's probably what we see mostly in TV. If we ever see someone with trauma on a TV program, generally they're reliving the event um, when they're trying to do something else, they might be trying to sleep, but their mind's just going over and over the event. And also the other thing is reckless behaviors. So gambling or ex- driving at extreme speed, doing things that are reckless is also a um, sign of post-traumatic stress. And that kind of, those sort of things differ in many ways from stress. So, so for stress, it tends to be like maybe um, some insomnia might uh, manifest as stress or they don't feel like eating. Um, and th- that's kind of where you see differences between the trauma type symptom and stress. The other thing I guess that happens in both is gut symptoms. People with trauma as well as people that are stressed can get gut symptoms. Uh, immune dysregulation where they tend to get colds and flus and, and other things more easily than uh, the average person. There can also be body pain. And I see this in my anxiety patients as well, that 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 trauma or that anxiety expresses as body pain. And I've had patients that have this body pain and when they go on SSRIs, the anti-anxiety medications, that body pain goes away. So we know that that body pain is an expression of that anxiety or trauma on some level. I don't think the mechanism of that is actually fully understood. And I know for myself, I have a shoulder injury that I got when I was nursing and I was a theatre nurse. And so I thought I got it, and I probably did initially, from holding retractors and looking into body cavities during surgery. And I've, I've had this injury for many, many years and had loads and loads and loads of treatment on it. Nothing's ever made it completely go away. And what I've noticed now that I'm more in tune with that mind-body connection, what I've noticed is that when I have even the slightest amount of stress, this shoulder, I can feel it tightening up. So for me personally, I think that's an expression of my stress is in this injury as a body pain. And I think a lot of people live with that and they don't actually realize it. 
Yeah, and things like headaches or yeah. like what you were saying with um, digestion, it's all very much oh, nervous system related yes. because of that sympathetic dominance that we see underlying yes. that chronic stress. Yes, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's a problem for many, many people and many people don't even really realise that that's happening. I've, I've had, you know, another anxiety patient I saw recently, she had had diarrhea for about eight years. And when I was talking to her about it and I said, so have you had this investigated or anything like that? She goes, oh, no, that's just normal for me. And I looked at her and I'm like, but it's not normal. Oh, but it's normal for me. And I said, yeah, I get that, but it's actually not normal and we probably need to do something about yeah. it. So lots of people, and you would find the same thing in your practice, I'm sure, are living with gut symptoms that for them, that's their normal. And so they don't, they don't think to actually address it and do anything about it until it gets pointed out to them by a healthcare professional. It's generally someone like a nutritionist or a naturopath that's spending an hour with them that they're actually realizing that that's something that needs to be addressed because that not only is a digestive issue, it's going to impact their gut microbiome and that's going to affect their mood. And, you know, it's no surprise with someone has anxiety that, you know, they've got had diarrhea for eight years it's like well where are you getting your nutrients from mm -hmm. everything's probably just flowing out of the body and yeah it's really interesting once you start diving in a little to what other signs and symptoms they've got in their body and how that might be affecting their anxiety or stress and how their anxiety and stress is affecting those other physical symptoms so again that mind-body connection it's very clear there yeah, it's a vicious cycle, isn't it, without all the nutrients totally. as the building blocks to yeah. you know, stabilise the mood and, and so on. So, Yes, exactly, exactly, because it's just so important. Everything has to, to be working together optimally to get good health and good mental and physical health. Yeah, absolutely. And so what do we see um, in, say, trauma or stress and how this connects to anxiety and depression that are more like clinically diagnosed. Mm, yeah. So this seems to be like stress, being under stress or trauma isn't necessarily absolutely going to lead to anxiety or depression, but it does put people at a greater risk simply because they are using all of their resources in terms of, you know, their, their nutrients and perhaps not able to absorb them so well. And then they get imbalances because of that in their neurotransmitters or their brain chemicals. So um, serotonin, of course, and you've probably spoken about this on your podcast before, serotonin, 90, about 90, 95% is produced in the gut and it's produced from proteins, tryptophan, that we ingest. So we need to be able to absorb that well. We also need to absorb some other nutrients such as our magnesium, our zinc, our B vitamins, in order to utilize our tryptophan and to build it into serotonin, uh, which then if we have good levels of serotonin in our brain, then we're less likely to get uh, anxiety and depression. And sometimes things like uh, depression also with trauma can come just from that change in the way they see the world. So if you're, you've lived a fairly you know, normal sort of life and then you happen to witness or be involved in some sort of traumatic event that dramatically changes you, the way you see the world, of course that puts you at high risk of something like depression because what you thought was true suddenly is not. 
And you may not know how to just get beyond that if you then go into that post-traumatic stress disorder and um, haven't received appropriate help for that. And that's really um, important for people to understand if they do experience that, that, that there are these longer-term consequences that can happen from these experiences. And, of course, anxiety and depression, as we know, are, are growing and are extremely important conditions that people need to have managed well in order to be safe and to be able to live fulfilling lives. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And really understanding the role of nutrition, like you said, like we need to really be able to firstly consume those beautiful nutrients, secondly, yes. absorb them and, be, you know, look at our gut health in relation to that. And, yes. um, you know, the unfortunate exactly. reality is if you're feeling anxious or depressed, you usually don't always feel like really healthy food and then the, exactly. you know, the cycle continues. Yes. So getting some support yeah, can be thing. really helpful with that as well. Yeah, totally. Because that is the other, the other aspect of it is when you are feeling like that, you may not have the energy to actually cook your own meal. So then your use of takeaway goes up or your use of comfort foods goes up. Yeah, Ubi, <laughs> all, all the different food delivery services. They make it so easy now <laughs> to get, you know, terrible food, it probably shouldn't even be classified as food, delivered into your home. And that's what, you know, people who are in these sorts of um, situations with trauma, anxiety, depression, even great levels of stress, the, the food situation, it becomes just get food into me or they don't feel like eating. They have the opposite effect where they just mm -hmm. don't feel like eating. So again, either way, they're not getting the nutrients they need to build their healthy brain chemicals to make sure that they're able to help manage their mood and avoid or support any anxiety or depression that might be um, going on in their body. Yeah, and again, a really important conversation because we haven't really looked at the role of nutrition and the microbiome until very recent times. Of course, yeah. these conditions were treated, you know, 99% of the time by the pharmaceutical route. And of course, yes. that can be helpful in some acute situations yeah. and um, very across that, you know, it, it can really benefit some people. But if you neglect to look at nutrition and the gut, then you never have an exit plan. And yes. obviously the root cause is not investigated. And that's where we really need to go with anxiety and depression oh, um, totally. because, you know, they, they, you can put yourself into remission when you have the right foundations. It's so true. And I've seen it time and time again where people are just, they come in, they're so depleted, they're so... They lack motivation because they're so depleted. They just don't know what to do. They get so confused because they've been on the internet and they're searching things and, and it's, they're so confused. And, you know, by getting people just getting their protein right and just getting some of their micronutrients right, putting people on a magnesium supplement can just change their lives. <laughs> yeah, so because, simple. Mm. Yeah, these really simple things and people just have no idea that making simple changes to what you're eating can improve your brain health and your mood dramatically and quickly mm. it's really surprising so yeah that is something that that really needs to be i guess a strong take home from this is if you are feeling like this nutrition is one of the first things you can do and easiest things you can do to help turn these things around but of course 
You know, it's no longer you are what you eat, it's you are what you absorb. So having all of this great nutritious food or supplements is all very well and good. But if you're not able to absorb it, then you are wasting your time in a way. So getting that gut, good gut health is super, super important. And again, having some professional help for that is invaluable and it can improve very quickly. Yeah, very well said. So share with me more about what you do to help situations of stress and trauma around yeah. the mind-body connection. Yeah, yeah. One of the first things I do when I get, and I probably do this with 90% of the clients that I see, even when they come to see me with something that's not even related in their minds to stress or anxiety, is breathing breathing we we just have forgotten how to breathe we we tend in the west we tend to be fairly shallow breathers if you look at babies and you look at animals uh they breathe into their belly and as we kind of go along in our lifespan for some reason we tend to breathe more in the upper part of the um chest so just belly breathing is one of the simplest exercises you can do. And it's one that anyone can do because it's very much breathing at your own pace, but it's just breathing into the belly rather than keeping the breath high up in kind of the chest and upper torso. And teaching people to do that and what that actually does, it works on the hypothalamus in the brain and sends it a signal that the threat is gone. The threat is gone and therefore you can downregulate the stress response. It's as simple as that by just controlling the breath and doing this belly breathing. So that's one of the things that I do with almost everybody initially to help um, with just down-regulating that stress response and triggering the relaxation response, which is the opposite nervous system. And uh, so that's one thing. Also, um, yoga, I find, is a really good way to get people to move because you can, go, you can find the easiest yoga class and even if you never exercise, you will get, you'll be able to go and get something out of it and that starts to bring you back mindfully into your body, which sounds, it sounds a bit strange when I say that. People say, what do you mean I'm not in my body? But it, a lot of the time we're up in our heads and we're not so much into our bodies and feeling into our bodies and going to a yoga class where the a good instructor will direct you where to put your gaze, where to put your hand and your foot and all that sort of stuff, which keeps you very present, keeps you very much in the moment. Oh, I've got to put my foot here and point my toes there and put my hand there. Keeps you very much in that moment. And that is really great, that building that mindfulness of yourself and your body and breath in each moment means that you're not thinking, you're not regretting past, you're not re-hashing uh, scenarios in your mind of things that you should have said or shouldn't have said. The past is the past. Nothing else can happen there. So that's something that causes people a lot of stress and anxiety and particularly in trauma as well. So it just allows people to be fully present. It also stops people thinking about the future and planning and worrying and thinking about things that may not even ever happen, which is a big problem with anxiety is this constant worrying about things that are probably never going to happen, but you worry about them anyway because you're anxious or stressed. So again, that being in that present moment, and yoga is very good for building mindfulness like that. And I mean, some people get the same thing if they're runners. 
they find when they're running and they're in the zone that that's where they are. They're totally present. And surfing, I've heard as well, is really good for being completely present when you're on that wave, yet that's the only place you are. You're not thinking about, you know, the stuff you're doing at work the next day. So any activity that can keep you completely focused and present in that moment will help build that mind-body connection and that sense of being totally here in the now and not worrying about the past or the future. That's why I really like yoga. But as I said, there are other things that will do this. So there's that, that aspect. But then there's just mindfulness on its own. So mindfulness, people can get a bit confused about what that is because there is something called mindfulness meditation. And then there is just mindfulness as an activity on its own. So mindfulness as an activity on its own can be as simple as sitting in a chair and starting to bring your awareness into your breath. And then starting to just scan through the body and doing things like feeling the clothing on your skin and feeling the weight of the feet on the floor and feeling the weight of your body through the sitting bones, noticing the sensation of your back against the chair and maybe noticing when you're breathing how the spine moves back and forth. So all of these little minute details are a mindfulness practice and the thing is the way our nervous system works we're as you can imagine we're hammered with stimulus all the time once you put on your clothing in the morning you'll feel it when you put it on and then your nervous system goes okay you don't need to know that anymore so it'll block it so you you won't be aware of the clothing on your body unless something's tight or hurting you and so bringing us back into that space where we're noticing every little detail is incredibly healing for the mind. We know that. We know that through MRI studies where they do brain imaging and they've actually measured grey matter uh, in the brain thickening with people doing mindfulness practices. Awesome. So it's um, something that is incredibly powerful. And the same with mindfulness meditation, which is pretty much exactly the same sort of thing where you sit, you're quiet, you're monitoring the breath initially and then you go into a body scan and you're noticing all of that detail that's going on in the body in that moment and the research tells us if you do i think it's about 23 minutes a day of that type of practice then you will get a therapeutic benefit and it lowers inflammation lowers blood pressure it improves blood glucose levels so we know if with people with type 2 diabetes it's very effective for them it also, obviously, with things like um, all of those post-traumatic stress disorder signs that I mentioned before can be affected. And particularly, I use a type of meditation with the soldiers called integrative restoration yoga nidra. And yoga nidra is a form of uh, meditation. It roughly translates to yoga sleep. And it's where you're lying flat, you're nice and comfortable, and it's a similar sort of thing where you start to come into the breath and come into the body and do a body scan and that sort of stuff. With um, iRest or integrative restoration, we actually go through a process of self-inquiry where once we're in that nice relaxed state and we've done the body scan and we've moved into breath, I then as a facilitator just start asking questions of people like, you know, what's a, what's a thought you might have about yourself? Uh, and get them to bring the thought in and then feel it in their body. That might feel like 
tightness in the chest or something. And then what if the opposite feeling or thought was true? What would that feel like in the body? And that might feel like warmth. And so we just kind of work with bringing the, what the thought or feeling or belief, what that generates in the body in terms of a sensation, and we work with neutralizing that. It's really fascinating. So these sort of mind-body techniques are incredibly effective for managing a whole bunch of different um, conditions, including mental health and stress and trauma. Beautiful summary. And you're preaching to the choir with myself. Like I um, am a little obsessed with yoga in a good way. Um, But you got me thinking about the other activities to start there because, you know, I think surfing is an incredible example and running for some people, they can definitely get Mm. in the flow. Um, I don't necessarily find that myself, but even non-athletic activities, like I often think about um, going to a ceramics class or something that like my, um, mother-in-law knits quite a lot and she makes incredible clothes for all the grandchildren. And just, I guess to our listeners, it doesn't have to be something physical. Of course, it's great because exercise is important for your mind and your mood as well. Um, but looking for something that really gets you out of the past, which is where depression lives, and out of the future, which is where anxiety lives. So I'd love us for for all of us to find our activity or activities that really keep us present. Um, And for me, it's definitely yoga. Like if my mind wanders off the mat, I won't even know what side I'm up to, what pose (laughs) is next. You know, it all goes a little bit pear-shaped. And I see that in my students as well. You can tell as a teacher when your students aren't present because I don't even know how to repeat the right side on the left yes. or vice versa. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, that, and that's yeah. the thing. It's, as, as long as it's something you can be fully um, present. What I am starting to notice a trend in yoga classes is people wearing their um, smartwatches mm-hmm. and those watches giving off, um, you know, reminders or when an email <laughs> comes in or a text comes in. And I see people on the mat bring their wrist up to their face and look at them and I'm just like oh man that's just destroying the practice so that would be another message if you've got one of those devices take it off when you're doing that activity whatever that activity might be so that you are still fully present and you're not keep getting drawn back into work or drawn back into a family situation or whatever it might be just keeping fully present because that is something I'm noticing a real trend at the moment with those devices. <laughs> that has to stop. I think if I, um, you know, if I saw that, I would definitely be banning those devices oh from my yoga oh. room. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Um, and then I love, um, you know, your explanation of the mindfulness meditation. I think there's some really beautiful strategies that we can all apply in our own lives. But yeah. I'd love to just explore briefly the argument um, quote unquote, oh, I'm terrible at meditation. I just can't quiet yeah. my mind. Yeah. <laughs> it always makes me yeah. laugh because we know these are the people that need it the most, need ironically. <laughs> um, yes, but yeah, what would exactly. be your rebuttal in that sort of statement? Yeah, for sure. Now, it can be sometimes what they define as meditation because some people say, I'm going to do meditation every day. I'm going to sit for 30 minutes. I'm going to just sit for 30 minutes and do meditation. You are totally setting yourself up for failure. If you've never meditated before, do not try and sit for 30 minutes, please, (laughs) (laughs) because it is really hard. Even as an experienced meditator, it can be very hard some days to sit for half an hour 
and just be fully present. And so my advice is to start very slow, even if it's one minute or three minutes, do that. And there are plenty of apps out there that are awesome for helping you do this for short periods of time. And so that can be one thing is setting yourself very, very small goals when it comes to that. Another thing is finding something that suits you and the time that suits you as well. For some people, doing it first thing in the morning is the best because then they know they're not going to get interrupted. If they've got kids, they get up before the kids are up. And, and that sometimes that means getting up quite early. I've got quite a number of clients that will get up at 5 a.m. because they want that quiet time before the household gets up. And that, that for them, it's their non-negotiable. That I'm just Even if you're just sitting and sipping a cup of tea and fully present in sipping that cup of tea, that is, can be your meditation. Um, maybe going in the shower meditation is a classic example, and particularly for people that have young kids and they may not get a lot of alone time, but maybe the shower is their alone time is that be fully present when you're in the shower and the shower is great because you've got water, you've got steam, you've got smells, you've got the feeling of even just your own hands putting the soap on your body, the feeling of the water rinsing it all off. So even trying to have a mindful shower and making it a goal to say, okay, for the first 30 seconds, I'm going to be fully present in listening to the water, getting the steam into my nose and, you know, just while I wash my face maybe. Set that small goal. Do that for a few days and then maybe make it longer and longer that you are fully focused in that shower because it is about training. You don't go into the gym and expect to pick up 100 kilos. You work your way up to it. And it's exactly <laughs> the same with meditation and mindfulness. People mm -hmm. think, oh, it's really easy. But it's actually really quite a discipline and it does require training the mind. So for people that really find it difficult, I totally empathize with you. And it is totally people like that that really need those techniques to calm the mind and just know that you don't have to sit you don't have to sit in lotus position wearing a kaftan and burning incense to be doing it right you just need to find that thing that you can very nicely just sit whether it or sorry or just do for a short period of time and then slowly start building up that time rather than putting pressure on yourself to you know be the perfect meditator and do 30 minutes or 23 minutes or whatever it is a day perfectly because it's it's just not going to happen yeah I really resonate with that too like I have a side passion in exploring Buddhism especially since I have become a mother and yeah. um it's all very much about practical ways like moving meditation yeah. or yeah. mindfully brushing your teeth or mindfully yes. commuting and I really love that in that there is then no excuse for someone who just can't find the time to sit still yes. or, you know, have something that might feel a little bit more structured. It's about choosing an activity that you're already doing. So yes. like I also love podcasts, but I do try and go for a walk with no music, no podcasts, maybe just Grace and I and, you know, taking in the surroundings yes. and mindfully walking. And there's so many yes. different activities that we can do mindfully that I think yes. that we just have to like break down some of those barriers to firstly get started, secondly, you know, be a beginner and then add yeah. on. 
Oh, I love that. Be a beginner. Absolutely. And it's I'm just such funny. a beginner some days. I yeah. cannot sit still. I'm thinking about my inbox and my Instagram yeah. and my daughter and yes. whatever else. And it's a real struggle to keep coming back to the breath or back to the, yes. you know, the app that I'm using, but that's the art of it all. That's what it's all totally. about. So I just chuckle totally. to myself sometimes and stick at it for as long as I can. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's so true. And the thing is you can find anything in your day, even something as simple as walking up a flight of stairs, you can turn into a mindfulness exercise because mm-hmm. there's a lot going on. Even, you know, again, that whole sense of feeling the clothing on the skin, feeling the weight in the foot, feeling the weight lift as you lift the foot, the feeling of the banister under your hand, all of that can be a mindfulness exercise that might last for 10, 20 seconds. 30 seconds. It's all about training the mind to have that attention and that stillness. Yeah. Beautiful. Love it. I would love to give you the space to sort of add anything else to the conversation that you would like to include, but also um, tell us more about where we can learn about you and your online programs and your social media. Sure. Yeah. Like I think we've, we've covered a lot today. So I think there's probably nothing extra I want to add today, but, um, in terms of where to find me, uh, I hang out a lot in my Facebook groups called the wellness flow, uh, solutions for stress, fatigue and anxiety. So come and join me over there, uh, or on my website, susiegarden.com. You can find lots of information about what I do over there. Uh, The Anxiety Taming Method is my signature program. I'm not taking enrollments at the moment, but that will be reopening soon. So if you want to know about that, join my Facebook group so that you'll find out when it's reopening for um, enrollment. And also for socials, Susie Garden Wellness is my Instagram handle and that's also my business Facebook page. So you can find me on those spaces as well. Beautiful. All the links will be in the show notes as always, team. Susie, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and of course, doing the wonderful work that you do. And I'd love to encourage our listeners to seek out your help, especially if there's something that they're dealing with that they're really looking for that personalized, um, qualified support. So thank you again. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, Steph. I've thoroughly enjoyed um, speaking with you this morning as well. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Hope to speak again soon. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.